0: It's good to see you guys. It really is. It's like Brother John, man. Thanks for the word. I appreciate that. It's been a while. It's been about two months since I've been up here. There was so much dust on my old pulpit. It was tough to blow it all away. It's good to teach God's word. It really is. Like John and some of the other guys that we've got that teach and Kim teaches. It's a privilege to teach God's word. It truly is. And, uh, I thank God every time he gives me opportunity, this old pastor here, to, to preach the word of God. I was thinking how long Jeff will let me stay up here. Will you he let me be here when I'm doing a walker up here, probably? Maybe? Gotta shake his ears just like that? I don't know, but yeah, it's good. It's good to be back here. I was supposed to teach last Wednesday, but because we had that special speaker, God gave me the grace to watch my Dodgers sink, it was terrible. Jeff, you love it too, don't you? He just loves it. <laughs> but again, it's, it's good that we're going to be able to look at God's word tonight. We're going to look at Psalm 89, and it's called the royal or the covenant song. That's what a psalm is. It's a song is what it is. And we don't know exactly, you know, when it was written. In my research, I couldn't really find out when it was, and I'm sure the other guys haven't found it either. But there was some kind of crisis that was probably going on, something. The psalmist saw, and he began to have this desperate cry, and that's what he wrote down as we're going to look at tonight. might have been Absalom's rebellion, which might have happened in 2 Samuel. It might have been, I don't know, the spiritual decline of, of Solomon in 1 Kings that kind of prompted him to do this. It might have been just the rapid decline after Solomon's death. could have been a whole lot of different things. Could have even been that he wrote this during the Babylonian captivity. What a terrible time for the people of Israel who God had blessed with so many great thanks. And here they were, and they were ripped away from their homeland and taken to a place, held in captivity until God released them from that. The writer starts off so positive, you know, in the section that I'm looking at, and we're gonna look at tonight. He begins to really wrestle with, and it fits in with what Jeremy picked tonight for kind of our worship time, is does God go back on his promises? Does God go back on his promises, the promises that he makes to us? The psalmist struggles with, this outward, with his outward observations that, that things just weren't lining up with these great promises that God gave to David. And he gave him a great covenant. He entered into a great covenant with him. And I was thinking about marriage. You know, how many of us are married? That's a covenant. But It's not a contract. You ever hear people say, you know, that contract's not worth the paper that it's written on? It's not. People break contracts all the time. It's a covenant. It's something that's supposed to bind us together. It truly is supposed to do that. Contracts, you know what happens? People break them, and then they end up going into big old lawsuits. I love what the book of Hebrews says, and I'm not quoting a scripture here, but there's a section in there, and the whole writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, whether it was Paul or Apollos, whoever it was, he's looking at, at God's people and probably Jewish followers of Christ, and he says that we have now a new and we have a better covenant than what we had in the Old Testament times. God's in covenant with us, people, right? Amen. When you gave your life to him, you entered into covenant with him, a blood covenant with him. I want us to stand, as we always do, to honor, you know, God's word. And I'm going to read uh, Psalm 89, verse just one and two. I'm not going to read through all of it, but I am going to briefly go back on all the stuff that's already gone on. Uh, this is what it says right here, and it's awesome what the writer says. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. In the King James, it says of his tender mercies that he would sing of those. Young and the old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is in, in, as enduring as the heavens. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word I love your word. I pray that your people, the people of Journey in your church around the world would continue to have a great love for your word, Lord. As our brother John was sharing with us tonight, God, may we read it constantly. May we open it up and, and get life from it because it is the bread of life. I pray as I speak tonight, God, you would guard my words. You have me say what I'm supposed to say. And you, Holy Spirit, you speak things that aren't even coming out of my mouth, and I pray that your people will hear tonight from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all sit down? I'm going to briefly kind of just shoot back through all of these verses that we've already gone through, and a lot of great ones, and especially this first one where it opens up about God's unfailing love and his faithfulness that it'll, it'll always be. God's love is always constant. You know, and and I love how the King James talks about its mercy. You see, love is a part of mercy. And mercy is what we need. It's what I need on the days I fall. You know, and as Brother John was sharing, we all fall from time to time, don't we? We really do. And we need God's mercy. And His mercy comes because of His great, unfailing love for us and His faithfulness towards us. In verses three and four, God's agreement, this covenant, was to establish a a, a kingdom uh, in David's family forever, forever. David was his chosen servant. It was the sovereign hand of God that, that called him to be the king of Israel. God's sovereign hand. We could talk a lot about sovereignty, but God is sovereign. He makes things happen. He truly does. Verses five and eight, it says that the heavens and the angels will praise the Lord for how mighty and how awesome he is. Who can compare with him, the psalmist says, and who is like our God? We sung that tonight. Who's like our God? There is none. There is only but one God, one true God. There truly is. And faithfulness is his character. He's faithful to us, guys. People would fail you from time to time, I might fail you from time to time. I know I fail my family from time to time. But God's always faithful. He'll always be faithful to us. I love that about him. In verses 9 through 12, God is ruler and creator of all. He calms the fearful storms of life. I think I got a slide up there, hopefully, right there. I love that picture. That used to hang in the foyer of the church that I pastored. And that was like the first thing that people could see as they walk in. Now it sits by my washing machine (laughs) out in the garage. But every time I look at it, it speaks powerfully to me because he does calm the storms of life that you and I face. And some of you might be doing that right now, facing some hard times. You just need to look and see Jesus standing there. He'll calm the seas for you. He won't take you out of the sea, but he'll calm what's going on in your life. He scatters the enemies with his mighty arm. Everything is the Lord's. He created the north and the south. I like that. He created the magnetic, you know, fields that are out there. He created all of that, the north and the south. And then in verse 13, it says that the Lord's Lord's arm is is powerful and his hand is strong. You know, I'm I'm a contractor, and I've been a carpenter for about 45 years. Getting ready to retire next year. Hallelujah. (sighs) Hallelujah. Amen. And a long road. But I had this old guy that I used to work with, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I've been thinking about this in this story because of just the strong hand. His name was John Cooster. He was a cantankerous old guy. He's worse than I am. And he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he used to build the stairs for this framing company that I, that I worked with. He'd be, we'd build big apartment buildings and stuff. And he'd, he'd do the rafters. And I remember one time, I don't know how it happened. But he shook my hand, and he about broke it. He was so strong. And I don't know why, but when I read through this verse, I said, man, God's hand is stronger than that man's hand. God is strong. See, when he holds you, when he grabs onto you, he's not going to let you go. No one could snatch you out of his hands, guys. Nobody. Verse 14, it says, his throne is built upon the foundations of justice and righteousness. We should have a picture of the throne up there. Love and truth attend his throne. I love that. I'd love to have been able to teach you all this stuff. He describes how he rules this kingdom. He rules it with love. He speaks truth. He does right things. That's what we're supposed to do, guys, just what he's doing. Verse 15 and 18, that happiness comes from heeding the call to worship. And we get to walk in the light of his presence. One of the songs we sung tonight, talking about being in his presence. You get to walk in that. You and I, we get to. We rejoice because we know the great king. We know Jesus. Gladness and joy to be a part of our life because we know him. We can have strength, power, and protection. Just like King David had through all of that. And I heard the Lord as I was studying this saying that Jesus was kind of speaking to each and every one of us saying that he's calling each and every one of us to come and to worship him. Come and to worship him. 19 and 20, David was selected to be king from just, he was a common guy. He wasn't even very handsome. His brothers were better handsome. You know, kind of the whole story there. We won't go into it and stuff. But the prophet almost, you know, he thought maybe it should be somebody else. It's interesting, too, that, you know, Israel wanted to have a king. God was their king. God was their king. And they chose a man over God, and God gave it to them. Sometimes, guys, we want what the world wants. But if we hear God's heart, what God's heart's saying to us is, I don't want you a part of this world. Is that what the scripture says? You live in it, but don't be a part of it. And then verse 21 through 26, it begins to shift to the great promises that God gives to David. He says, I'm going an to anoint him to be strong and a steady king and a leader of Israel. His enemies won't get the best of him. They won't overcome him. He'd beat down his adversaries. God would love, God's love and faithfulness would always be with him. And that David's rule would be, it would, it would extend have a far-reaching effect it would have influence the church needs to have influence in this world we do we need that again we need to see that we can change things and we believe that we can change things through the power of god god alone was the one that rose david to power there was no self promotion on that god lifts people up god said that i'm going to call him my son and david called him his father That's close relationship. That's close relationship. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants with us is that close relationship. David called him the rock of salvation. His life was built on the rock. He was the mightiest of kings. The Lord said, I will love and I will be kind to him. David's life was spared. I hope you guys understand that, that the law required he'd be put to death because of what he did with Bathsheba and what he did to her husband. He basically put him out in front and got him murdered because of that. Amazing that he did do that. But God promises that his throne will be endless. One day Jesus will sit on that throne. But then in verse 30 and 32, there is, but what if, and that's the warning. God always warns before he does something. Do you guys know that? If you're a good parent, you need to warn your kid before you do something. When my kids were growing up, I warned them before I took action. My little grandkid, it doesn't usually get past the warning. I can usually just warn him and he wants to do what Papa says. And I appreciate that. But he says this. Something's gonna happen if you don't do this. If your sons forsake God's law, If your sons fail to walk in his ways, if your sons don't obey God's word, if they fail to keep his commandments, he says, I'll punish their sin with a rod and then their disobedience with a beating. Ouch, that hurts. That hurts. Proverbs is full of so many things when it comes to discipline. And then verse 33 through 37, and then we'll get into the section I have. God, and the psalmist says, God will not break or fail to keep his promises because God doesn't lie. What God says, it's gonna happen. It is gonna happen. And he says, I'll always love David. Even when he sinned, when he did what he did to Bathsheba and killed her husband, he still loved him. Verse 38 And I've got 38 through 45, and we should get by this pretty quick. But now you have rejected him and cast him off. This is the psalmist now looking at things and saying, it looks different than what I've just spoken here. You are angry with your anointed king. Here's the question for you guys for your table. I don't always do the table thing and just pretty gracious allowing me to do that. Because you guys get out of control. That's the problem. But I want to ask you a question, and, and you can just speak that at, at your table. And, and you answer whether or not, if you've ever felt that you've been rejected by somebody. And if, if you feel comfortable to do that, just share with them maybe who did reject who rejected you and how you felt at that, that time. Do it pretty shortly, okay? Can you do that? I know that's pretty heavy, but... I want you to do that. You ever felt like you've been rejected? So how many of you did ever been rejected or felt rejected? by Somebody. Yeah, vast majority. i felt that same way. Let's look at Psalm 51. We should have that up here. It's in the New American Standard Bible. And, and these are David's words. He says, created me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. And do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. David wrote this shortly after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. After he did commit adultery with Bathsheba. I think David felt at that time that God had left him. That God had forsaken him the Spirit of God didn't dwell inside a person back in the Old Testament time. It kind of came on them is what it did. And David felt like, man, God left me. He's gone. It hurts. It hurts when you feel like somebody has, you know, rejected you. He just wanted restoration. You know, I'm sure we've felt, not everybody, maybe a lot of people, that, that God's forsaken you. Have you ever felt like God's like, forsaken you? Or maybe some sin or something that you did? Yeah, of course. I'm going to tell you something, guys. He never will. He never will. Hebrews 11, 13, 5 says this. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And that really comes back, and I did research on this, way back into Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 and 8, he said that to his people. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even when you feel like he's gone, he's still there. And that last half of it, of that verse 38, you know, was God angry at David? Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something. David didn't do everything right, did he? He really didn't. He sinned. He sinned big time. We're sinners too. We fail them. We truly do. We sin from time to time. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't think our Heavenly Father is too happy sometimes. When my kids did things that weren't right, it it angered me at times. It truly did because I love them. We do stupid stuff. You know, my kids did stupid stuff. They're adults. They still do stupid stuff. (laughs) My grandkid, I expected, but I'm like, you know, no, I'm just kidding. But you know what? As I was studying and preparing this message, I felt the Holy Spirit just speaking to me and said this, that God's anger is subdued by his great love and faithfulness to us. It's subdued. What changes that anger when, when my kids did something wrong? It, all of a sudden, my, the, my love for them took over and my faithfulness took over. And then I dealt with them in love. I didn't deal with them in anger. Verse 39, it says this, you have renounced your covenant with him. You have thrown his crown in the dust. That's what Ethan, the psalmist, thought, that he had renounced his covenant with David. It's like a picture of ripping off David's crown and just throwing it into the dust. It's amazing, isn't it? It truly is. It appeared to him that God had gone back on his promises to David, that he had thrown him by the side of the road. Listen, God never reneges on his promises, guys never reneges on his promises. And, and you've got promises in your hearts that he's given to you. God's not gonna renege on that. If it, it matches up with his scriptures, he won't renege on that. You can hold on to that. It didn't look as to the psalmist that it happened. It looked like he just kind of threw him by the w- wayside. Listen to Joshua, what he says here in verse uh, 45 of chapter 21. Not a single one of all of the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left, what? Unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came, what? It came true. Everything, it came true. We sung that song tonight. His promises are true. His promises are true. They will come true. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 in the Amplified Version, and I like this version from time to time. It says this, For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes, their answer in him, in Christ, in Jesus. For this reason, we also utter amen, so be it, to God through him in his person and by his agency to the glory of God. Their yes, their amen, the promises are true. Then in verse 40, he says this again. He looks and he goes, What's going on here, God? You have broken down the walls of protection around him and ruined every fort defending him. Broke down the walls. His forts were ruins that protected him. Remember Job? You guys all remember Job. What an ordeal that man went through. God forbid that I ever go through anything even so slightly close to what he went through. What did God do, guys? He took the walls down. That's what he did. You know, we don't have time to teach that whole thing. But remember, the dialogue between God and between Satan at that time. And he says, I can't touch him. You take the walls down, I touch him. That's what happened. The wall came down, and you know what happened. Satan pounced on him. He pounced on him is what he did. Listen to Psalm 32, 7 says, For you are my hiding place. Talking about God. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Listen, those walls of protection are around us. But from time to time, those walls get dropped. And I believe God initiates those walls sometimes to come down. And you know why he does that? To draw us closer to him, to draw us near to him. Because it's during those hard times, those times when we can't make sense of what's going on. When it just seems like, God, what is, the world's gone. You've, you've, you've left me. When those walls go down, it's to bring us to our knees and to the throne room of God and saying, God, I just need you, man. I, I don't care what's going on. I just, I just need you. I need you to comfort me. Psalm 91, verse 14 says this. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. He will protect us. He'll take care of us. And then the psalmist looks again and he says this. Everyone who comes along has robbed him. They've robbed him. And he has become a joke to his neighbors. He's been robbed. You know what that word means really, literally? It means he's, been, he's plundered is what it is. It reminds me of the verse in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. David became a joke, a joke. He was disgraced. He was, his shame had been brought upon his kingdom and his kingship. I mean, look at the jokes we got walking around nowadays. I mean, people become jokes. They get shamed and they get disgraced. Just turn on the news I mean, politicians, movie stars, celebrities, athletes, even pastors from time to time. Even pastors. I was watching the news and they talk about some pastor robbing some place. And he's robbed him about three or four times. I went, you've got to be kidding me. That's a joke. We're, we're not to become a joke for Jesus. That's what I got as I was reading this. You know, don't become a joke for Jesus. Become a witness of his love. Be a witness of his love. And then verse 42, he struggles again. He's looking at the outward circumstances and he says, man, it looks like you've strengthened his enemies and you made them all rejoice. They were rejoicing at the troubles that, that David was going through or what Israel was going through at that time. Some of those troubles, you know what, that we have in our own lives, I'm going to tell you something. They're self-inflicted, self-inflicted by some of the, the choices that we make. But some of those troubles that come into our life, if you read the Bible right, God allows those things into our life. He truly does. So his enemies were being strengthened. Listen, God spoke over and over again in the Old Testament that if Israel sinned, I went back and I read a bunch of verses. If Israel sinned, he would let their enemies defeat them. And how many times, you guys know, you read the scriptures, how many times were they defeated? So many times. So many times. It's unfortunate that that happened. Satan loves it when we stumble and fall. He he truly, truly loves it. He rejoices when you fall. He rejoices when we sin. He rejoices when we stumble. Did you know that the book of Proverbs in chapter 24 says this? Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. I don't like that verse. <laughs> I really don't. And I remember reading it, and I read Proverbs a lot. And I've been meeting with Mike Said He's not here. And Kyle, and, and he's been reading Proverbs a lot, and I love it. And he said, man, man, there's so much good stuff in there. It just talks about everything. I said, I know it does. That's why I love reading it. But I remember reading that verse for the first time. I didn't like that. I want to rejoice when somebody that hurts me gets whopped or something. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of our own human nature to do that. But the Bible says don't do that. Why? Because we got to love them. We got to love them. That's what we have to do. Verse 43, he says this. It appears that you made his sword useless and refused to help him in battle. Wow, I don't like that one. It appeared as if he was on his own. And at times, it appears sometimes that we're on our own, doesn't it? It truly does. It appears at times that God's not watching us, that God's not helping us, that we're maybe even praying the word and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and it just seems like, man, it's just, it's, it's just not helping. It appears at that moment that, that God really isn't fighting for us. I want you guys to know something, and you know it, and it was spoken tonight. I mean, it couldn't have blended everything together so much, and you said it, that the Lord fights for us. He does. I got the verse for you guys, and it goes right along with Brother John, man. 2 Corinthians 32.8 says this, and this was King Hezekiah speaking these words to the people of Israel as they were distraught. And the king of Assyria was coming after him. He says, listen, he might have a great army. This king of Assyria might have a great army. He says, but they're merely men. That's all that they are. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. You don't fight on your own, guys. You never will, and you don't have to into the future. He fights for you. He fights for you. And in verse 44, he says this. He goes, Wow, it looks like his splendor has ended and that his throne had been overturned in verse 44. That glory had had gone away that it once appeared at that time. Listen, Jesus is going to reign, King of kings and Lord of lords on that throne. It's coming in the future. He didn't see it, but when Jesus comes back, He's going to reign. The people of Israel wanted Jesus to take over the Roman Empire and to throw him out. That's what he wanted. He didn't do that. And you know why he didn't do that? Because he came to die for our sins the first time. He came to be the savior of mankind, to, to atone for our sins. But he's coming the next time, and hopefully pretty soon, and he'll be king of kings and lord of lords and reign on that. And then verse 45, and we'll wrap it up. It says, have you made him old before his time and publicly disgraced him? It's kind of literally, it means kind of shortened his, his days and disgraced him in public. You know, the house of David really didn't last very, very long. And it's interesting what I found out when I was studying that the last four kings of Israel, they didn't last long at all. Some of them only lasted a couple months in their reign. As they were here. And either it lasted a short time, and they were either captured or they were killed by the sword, the last four that stood there. I was thinking, man, Lord, I, I want you just to keep using me until, like I was saying tonight, I'm up here with the rocker, you know, and, and I get to preach God's word. I, I I don't want to have that taken away. I want to be used by Him. You know, listen. It looks like God wasn't fulfilling his promises. As Ethan took an honest look at what was going on, it just didn't seem like God wasn't fulfilling his promise. But he was, and he is. And the promises that you have in your heart, he's gonna take care of those things. He truly is. And I know sometimes, listen, circumstances block our view. They truly do. They block our view of God working. God's always working, guys, whether you see that he's working or that he's not working. He's always working. He's on our side. He's there for each and every one of us. 2 Peter 3, I don't have that up there, but people were beginning to mock about, they kept preaching that Jesus is returning again soon. And Peter writes to them and he says, look, listen, it's gonna happen. It's going to happen at the right time. And the only reason why it's not happening right now, because Jesus is patient. And when the time comes, he's going to do that. God is always working on our behalf. He truly, truly is. This is what you and I need to do when it comes to the promises of God. And if you've got a promise in your heart right now, this is what you need to do. You need to stand on the promises of God. You truly do. That's your part. Stand on the promises of God. Take that word, hide it in your heart, and say, Lord, I'm I'm believing you that you're gonna do that. See, that's part of it, standing and believing. And then what you have to do, you have gotta fight against the discouragement of maybe some of the circumstances or the things that are in your life that it's just not happening. It could be, listen, it could be one of your kids that you wanna see him back with Jesus, It could be one of your kids, and you just want to see them give their hearts to Jesus. It could be a grandkid. It could be the fulfillment of of some other things. Some of you might be standing on a promise to even have a grandkid or whatever it might be or or having a child. I know my kids wrestled with that a lot. Thank God I got another grandkid on the way in about 30 days or 60 days. So give me two. I'll be happy. But the first one took a long time to get. But we felt like God was gonna do that and we stood on the promises of God. See, your part is to do this and I'll end with this. It's to focus on him. Be thankful and have a worshipful attitude. Keep trusting him and keep believing in him. Amen. Let's pray, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, Lord. I take it, I hide it in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, your word, a lot of people have said there's thousands of promises in here. I didn't bring my little booklet, but I've had it. I've had it for about 20, 25 years with probably a 1,000 promises in it, Lord. Whatever it might be in our life, Lord, there's things in this word that we can go to and say this is what God says about it you're feeling like he's forsaken you the bible says he hasn't if you're feeling like god doesn't love you anymore the bible says he'll always love you help us to stand on that lord help us not to get so focused on the circumstances and the things that are going on around us but help us to stay focused on you lord it's on you lord that we're to be focused on help my brothers and sisters stay close to you lord we'll follow you wherever you're going to take us lord And we do pray that your return would come soon, Lord. But in the meanwhile, God, help us to go love people the way that you love people. Help us to show them that you love them, Lord. You're not there to beat them over the head for their sins that they have. But you're there to love them and to forgive them and to accept them, Lord. Help us as your church do that in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.